Hey, hey, welcome back to season one, episode 19 of E-Crime Bites. And this one's called A Couple Who Cyber Stalks Together Faces Charges Together. And guess what? In part two now, we are meeting the other half of this couple. When I say couple, I'm not talking about... Let me give you the 10 cent tour, just in case you're jumping in. On part one, we met an individual named Jason Lydell, who biggest shitbag, well, at least tied shitbag wise with uh, one other individual that we talked about, Dr. Shitbag Ronald Ilg. But Jason Lydell was an officer in the Navy, got married, then divorced. So the divorce happened and we're calling the ex-wife. We're just saying ex-wife. That's her name. There was no, we're not actually giving her a name in here because she isn't in the court paperwork. He's stalking her. And when I say stalking her, I mean fucking cyber stalking her. He is writing emails that look like it comes from her that says she wants to commit suicide. So it messes up the divorce proceedings and that she was a drug the, addict. Yeah. She was a drug addict. So that way he could get custody of the two minor children. He's worried she's going to get his Navy retirement. So he's basically doing all this kind of stuff to put her under his thumb as much as possible to get as much out of the divorce as possible. And if I, I really can't do it justice, you really, really need to go back and watch part one. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'll put a link here now where you can actually click on it and go back to part one if you want to watch it. And it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It took an hour just to describe what this one guy did to his poor ex-wife. And that's not, we're not even really halfway there suspense wise. Because now he meets a woman. Her name is Sarah Elizabeth Sorg. She it becomes his next significant other. So they're dating and eventually it sounds like, well, we do know that they move in together. She is a senior trial attorney for the U.S. Department of Transportation. So we're dealing with a couple here you would expect more from. A Navy officer a senior trial attorney, you know, I know attorneys have to go through the bar, which, you know, stop me if I'm incorrect, Seth, but involves some kind of ethics and morals. So you expect it, something it <laughs> more, something more from this couple. And you're going to see from this point forward, it's just like, they just go off the deep end from here. It is absolutely insane. So since she's a lawyer, she kind of becomes a tool in his cyber stalking scheme he's able to use her to do things in court and push his story in court a lot stronger than he was able to do leading up to this you know we showed you a bunch of spoofed emails and so forth well she ratches it up because with these emails she can now do things in court with these emails and it, it's amazing and I would, I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's probably equal amount shitbag to Lydell. Yeah. So let's flash forward now in part two. Oh, oh wait. Let me stop real quick. And for our video viewers, show oh. you a picture. Let's show a picture of what SAS yeah. looks like. 
So this is Sarah Elizabeth Sorg. And I, Seth and I were debating where this picture came from. It came from um, a news article, but it looks like a driver's license photo. It doesn't look like a, a mug shot yet. And later on, I'll tell you why I kind of think this. All right, Seth, go ahead. All right. So we are moving in time now. We are now in early August of 2020. And a search warrant is issued at Lydell's house. And keep in mind that now he's cohabitating with uh, attorney Sorg. So what do they find? They find laptops, they find desktop computers, they find mobile devices and various types of storage media. So we learn that Sarah Sorg has access to Lydell's accounts. What do you got, Dr. Jones? Well, this is the interesting thing is when we talk about evidence and I like to look at these cases of what could the criminal have done to get away with this? This is one of those turning points where she could say, she could maybe, maybe say, I didn't know what Jason was doing. We were just living together. He was doing some crazy shit. Sorry about that. But she can't because we see her saving and sending messages Later on, the investigators find this, but we see her sending these messages that shows that she has access to Jason's accounts while Jason is in custody. There's a point where he violates an order and he's in custody for a point. And while he's in there, she's basically managing these accounts. So. While we're telling you about Sarah, if you're feeling bad for her and you're like, ah, oh, well, maybe she just got suckered into this by Jason. No, she has access to his account. She knows what's going on. She's just as culpable in this whole thing as he is. And to show you that for the viewers that are watching the video, I actually have a picture that we can put on your screen. So this is, you know, for instance, one of the pictures that they have in the court documents that shows that Sarah sent it or that Sarah's device has access to Jason's accounts. And they basically showed pictures right in the court documents of what this stuff looks like. Yeah, some would say this is a smoking gun, right? So what you have here is the uh, that Hook and Mermaid Yahoo account we learned about was used by Lydell uh, often in various uh, schemes to make his wife look awful, ex-wife. Um, we have a different one called Sean Fox, which looks like an alias. And then another one, uh, Nick Zabelli. I'm not sure what that one's about, but we'll get to it. But definitely no plausible deniability here for Sarah Sorg. Yeah, and I didn't say it up front, but Sarah has an email address, Sarah E. Sorg at yahoo.com. That's where these images are found. Okay, <laughs> so in her account, these pictures of all these accounts that we've been telling about them and cyber stalking his ex-wife and everything, that's in her email account too. It's kind of weird, so, right? Why would she that why would you have a picture of your phone of different accounts that you have access to? I don't know. Absolutely crazy. There's and why would he send his ex-wife's username and password to his DOD email account that we talked about in part one? It's like it's insane what they do. And, and all this evidence is just shows at the end of the day that they were behind this. And it wasn't the ex-wife doing all this stuff that we're talking about. So let me get you back to us. So, all right. So 
there's a big pivotal moment. And Seth, why don't you walk us through this point? Because this, this point is big in the ex-wife's life and in Sarah Sorg's life and in Jason Lydell's life. Sure. So at some point, Sarah claims to receive an extortion letter. And this is, this is pivotal, right? So the court documents claim that she was extorted by Lydell's ex-wife. Specifically on September 20th of 2020, Sarah claims to have received an extortion letter in U.S. mail, which was made to appear as if it was sent by the ex-wife. The extortion letter was postmarked from Richmond, Virginia, uh, five days prior, September 15th of 2020, and the letter attempted to extort Sarah for some random amount of $28,500 and threatened to harm Sarah, Sarah apparently, who has her own minor children, and Mr. Jason Lydell. So, what do you think, Seth? That we want to read this? It's it's a pretty long letter, but I think yeah. we should read it because it gives a good example of what the fuck. Yeah. All right. Why don't you take the first paragraph? I'll take the second one. Yeah. All right. So this is, I guess, ostensibly to Sarah Sorg. It just says Sarah Sorg. I bet you think that you are so. I think there's five O's there. Fucking smart. I would have my dog. That's with capital M Y. If it weren't for your muddling, isn't it meddling? I don't think muddling is the right word. If you don't muddling. pay me. Hey, well, stop. Stop a second here, Seth. We know that Jason also, if you didn't see part one, Jason can't spell for shit. So yeah. if you're thinking maybe Jason sent this email. Oh, there's a lot of misspellings in here. Hold on. We got more information coming yeah. for you. So continue, so I'm gonna, Seth. <laughs> I'm going to poke a little bit of fun at the consistent uh, uh, misspellings or poor use of grammar. Um if you don't pay me 28000 extra space, $500, by the end of September, I will focus my attention on you. Triple space. Imagine what will happen if I convince my friends on the force that you had a major role, that's R-O-L-L, in their investigation. That's T-H-E-R-E. Uh, I bet you get disbarred. That's just spelled right. Just pay me and this goes away. I hear H-E-R-E. Your ex, Y-O-U-R, actually that's correct, uh, is crazy. How would your retarded son and entitled daughter do, D-U-E, being raised by a crazy? I bet that would drive them over the edge, don't you? You'll get your wish. No more urgent care, exclamation point, ever again, exclamation point. Do you think that you will ever see your kids again after being locked up? For now, you are a fancy lawyer. Have any of your clients ever gotten their T-H-E-R-E kids back after spending time in jail? I bet not. Neither will you. Jones, you can take the other paragraph because this is fantastic. This is just great. All right. Second paragraph starts with you and my asshole husband can share a jail cell. I hear H-E-R-E. Orange is both your Y-O-U-R colors. Wait. Yours? Yeah, that, that one's yours correct. Oh, there's so many. It's so so tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. The next sentence says, tell him to, in all caps, fuck off. He is a shitty lawyer who can't even get a protective order against me. I just lie, add a few tears, and I get whatever I want. He can't get any protection when I am not even present. Fuck you, Jason Lydell. 
You tell that asshole that he needs to give up on trying to get custody of my children. My friends on the force have ensured me that since he was in jail for so long that he must be guilty. I have the courts. Uh, all right. So, well, it changes font here. So work with me here. Well, there's like three different fonts here. It's very strange. I have the courts eating out of my hands. Jason, if you do not immediately drop your custody case and what does that say? Do not. Do not, do not immediately sign the divorce papers and pay me double what I am owed. You need someone else to call 911 for you. I have been practicing over at Camp Allen. When I come for you, I won't miss. I think she's alluding to shooting, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a violence uh, threat. I don't know what Fort that, Smith is. Camp Smith. Camp Allen, rather. How do I got Fort Smith from? I don't know where Camp Allen is, though. I'll have to Google that. That goes for you and your kids. Sarah Sorg. And then it has some name that's blocked out and then the ex-wife's name. And it's that that's absolutely I think, crazy. I think that's the uh, ex-wife's husband. Because remember, he had oh, the, uh, yeah, the new one. So it makes it yeah, seem so, like it's from the two of them. All I want to say, Seth, is A, that's fucking rambling. Just rambling. And B, who the hell would believe that someone would mail a letter like... Like, the, if I read this as a police officer, the first thing I would go is, really? The ex-wife sent this? Like, she just identified herself and said, I'm going to shoot you and do, you know, like, basically put everything in there? Well, I have several questions. So just for the audience to be clear here. This was written by Sarah Sorg. And it looks like if I gave like a seven-year-old who wasn't in the best schools like a day to go draft something, they could do a better job than this. I mean, this was done. Now, you could argue they did it kind of sort of on purpose to make the ex-wife look like she was, you know, not the sharpest knife. I don't know. I'm not sure that's true. I would think they'd want to make it as sophisticated as possible to make it seem as real as possible. Um... The whole thing just reeks I, being pathetic. And more importantly, like, clearly nobody would ever write this. Whoever, you know, expect, uh, especially one with no history of any kind of violence. And I mean, I look, I know a lot of people got divorced who had to go really, really bad. But um, this is a whole, like, next level shit right here, man. I mean, this is bananas. I would, I would argue that Jason wrote this. Um, and I think the evidence is probably going to show that because I think Sarah probably would have spelled a little better um, just because I've seen her a lot more of her writing and she actually does spell things correctly and we've seen Jason mess it up but you know we don't know for sure but we got something coming up that alludes to what it could be yeah so Sarah gets this letter that everybody and the brother thinks Jason and Sarah drafted themselves and sent it to them and what does Sarah do? Remember, she's a lawyer. So the very first thing she does is she goes out and she files a police report over the extortion letter. And this is September 20th, 2020. And she says, hey, you know, here's even a, and I'll show you video side. Sorry, I'm not so quick on these. Yep, so a copy go. of the uh, the actual physical envelope that so was she's, delivered. 
Yep. So she says, here is no return the actual address. physical. Uh, there's no return address. I believe even, and I'll tell you why later, but I believe she said, here is a picture of the extortion letter. And here is a picture of the envelope. And I'll tell you why in a second. So she, end of the day, she files a police report, right? She starts a process against Jason Lydell's ex-wife for this fraudulent letter that was sent to her. So as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, Seth, the process, at least as it sounds in Maryland, is you apply or you file a complaint first, which is what she did on the 20th. Basically, she went in and said, I got an extortion letter. And then it sounds like the next day she went in and then applies for charges, which then ups what happens to the ex-wife if if in this whole scheme, the cyber stalking scheme. And I just want to note here, and if you're not from our area, these these places we're talking about, they're very close, but they're still different states. So the ex-wife we told you in part one lives in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is a pretty decent close drive from Maryland, which is where Sarah Sorg and Jason Lydell live. So by a car, it's pretty easy to get from Jason's place to the ex-wife's place. So they started out with the charges in Maryland because that's where Jason and Sarah live. And they went there and they, like I said, they first filed the complaint and then they applied for charges. And I guess in the process, they basically said, okay, well, we'll start an investigation. We'll talk to you in a few days, somewhere around September 29th or September 30th of 2020. So in that time, because she had this allegation of receiving this extortion letter on September 21st, which is again, the next day, it's when she applied for the charges, she receives this preliminary peace order, which basically says that the ex-wife, it says that Sarah has evidence that the ex-wife threatened her and the ex-wife has to stay away from her. Did I categorize that well enough, Seth? I think that makes sense. Let me just pause for a second here. She's an officer of the court and a fairly senior attorney in a major, you know, portion of the government that has a seat at the uh, the cabinet. She's clearly committing fraud on the court here. Either, even if she didn't write the actual or put together the letter, the fact that the, the letter, the, the um, you know, seeking an order of protection was done in her name means that she's clearly committing fraud. So similar to the guy that got a couple of bucks for committing fraud over the years with, you know, Amazon gift cards, is it worth it? She's gonna, she's literally ruining her legal career here over some bullshit. And I just find that to be, as an attorney and as a professional, like, what, why would you do that? Or for this guy? For what? I mean, that's the thing. Like, what's her motivation? Unless she's that in love with this guy. I, I don't understand it. Um, it it's it's, it's batshit. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't able to figure that out. Like, I couldn't figure out why with his troubled past, another woman would come in there and live with him and then 
when she finds out how he treats her at his ex goes i'm gonna help you you silly son of a bitch and gets involved right i'm your huckleberry I mean, <laughs> I mean so most people would go what the hell's going on if i become an ex i don't want this to happen to me and they would leave but not sarah sorg not sarah now sorg. sarah took care was taking care of business in maryland so then she turns her attention to virginia beach and virginia beach is where the ex-wife lives you want to tell us a little bit about that i do so the court documents state that before Sarah's appointment with uh, the Montgomery County, that's in Virginia Beach, uh, state's attorney office. Nope, nope. Montgomery nope. County is Maryland. Sorry, Maryland. Apologies. That's what I get for being a New Yorker. Uh, for the case, quote, to be properly evaluated and prepared, the Virginia Beach JDRC hearing um, or the Maryland District Court hearing for a full peace order against the ex-wife, Sarah initiated contact with law enforcement in Virginia Beach to have the ex-wife arrested. A review of the of the phone records for Sarah Sorg's number showed that on Thursday, September 24th, 2020, three outgoing calls were made to phone numbers with the Virginia Beach 757 area, and they know they were all law enforcement. One was the Virginia Beach Sheriff's Office at 11.06. Five minutes later was the Virginia Beach Police Department Service Department. And four minutes after that, the Virginia Beach Police Department's third precinct. So she was on a mission to get ex-wife arrested. And guess what? And guess what happens? <laughs> guess what happens? She succeeded. On the 25th of, of September, Virginia Beach Police Department arrived at the ex-wife's residence in Virginia Beach and arrested her based on an extradition warrant from the state of Maryland. And she was jailed for four days in Virginia Beach as a direct result of the application for charges filed by Sarah Sorg. That is fucked up. Yeah, that is absolutely batshit crazy. So what was interesting, and I picked apart the court records to learn a little more, little more about this, is they said even the arrest of the ex-wife was weird it wasn't a normal arrest he said there was a first attempt to arrest her and it was conducted by school resource officers that's weird who don't normally execute arrest warrants so imagine it's your officer that is basically like a liaison with the kids and protects kids at a school and they're like hey guess what today buddy you gotta go arrest this teacher yep have fun well, what it shows is the police department themselves couldn't proverbially shoot straight either. They did not follow protocol at all. Apparently, you know, when Maryland contacted Virginia Beach to request the service of the arrest warrant, like that protocol was not followed. And there were multiple attempts to arrest the ex-wife. And in both cases, involving a school resource officer on the initial attempt and the second attempt, uh, the service was field initiated and did not come in through the appropriate dispatch service from the Virginia Beach PD. So according to the court documents, um, it was really Sarah's specific multiple attempts to communicate with law enforcement that really ultimately resulted in uh, ex-wife's arrest. In other words, if she wasn't so adamantly 
pursuing this and basically flying a red flag, like this is a big problem, you have to arrest her right now, they would have realized, wait a second, wait a second, we got to go through proper channels here and she would not have spent four days in jail. So this was not only Sarah, I mean, this was a direct result of Sarah's aggressive attempt, but this is also, I think, kind of an embarrassing scenario from both Virginia PD and the Maryland uh, uh, court. So imagine ex-wife, holy shit, I'm in jail for four days. Something very happen, very important happens in those four days. Sorg, Sarah Sorg and Jason Lydell were granted a protective order from the ex while she was in jail. So since the ex-wife was in jail, she couldn't show up to court to defend herself. And when she couldn't show up in court to defend herself, it was then just granted to Sorg and Lydell. So it was sort of like, I don't know, the Scooby-Doo where you just had the criminals in the background and she just like fell right into the trap. She fell, you know, was arrested. And while she was arrested, this protective order was granted and it's the ball just keeps rolling from here. Yeah, so later on, so this is a couple of days later now, the 28th of September, the arrest happened on the 25th. The ex-wife was released from custody and all charges against her were dropped by the Commonwealth's attorney in Virginia Beach. The uh, ex-wife immediately appealed the final protective order ruling in Montgomery County, Maryland, upon her release as well. So they were like, sorry, didn't mean to put you in jail for four days. Uh, Our bad. And um, I mean, frankly, I think she should sue them civilly, but what do I know? I'm a lawyer. Um, But let's move on to what Jason Lydell says about all this when he was asked. Well, he pretends to know nothing because September 29th, which is a few days later, he emails the ex-wife's attorney and starts using this event that she was um, put into jail to his advantage to try to get information about their two minor children. And I'm not going to read this whole letter to you because it's really... Well, maybe do you want to, Seth? Uh, yeah, I think it kind of shows kind of more how shitbaggy Lydell, and maybe this when he had some help from his uh, lovely uh, girlfriend there to draft this. So, and let's keep in mind the context here. Lydell is sending an email to both uh, his ex-wife's attorney and the guardian and Lydum. So for those of you who don't know, in a nasty divorce proceeding, the courts will assign essentially a social worker who is there to make sure that the best interests of the minor children are always kept in place here. So uh, the guardian ad litem is also a part of this email. And he writes, sir slash madame, could you please tell me the whereabouts of minor one and minor two, his children? I haven't spoken with either of them since Wednesday or heard from them since that time. I'm concerned for their whereabouts, especially since it has come to my attention that ex-wife spent this past weekend in jail. Where were minor one and minor two this past weekend, 25th through 27th September, and who was taking care of them? So before we continue, I want to make this clear. He got his wife thrown in jail and he wasn't concerned. I mean, obviously he's, you know, he's feigning indignance and being upset about his children not being cared for, but he fucking caused it. Anyway, you could take the next paragraph, Dr. Jones. Sure. From what I was able to put together, it is my belief that ex-wife was arrested Friday morning sometime before 10.30 a.m. The attorney of ex-wife emailed me at 11.12, like 11 a.m., 12 minutes. 
Friday morning and did not mention the ex's arrest. As of right now, no one has informed me that the ex-wife was incarcerated. I only found out yesterday afternoon about the ex-wife's arrest. When I checked to see if ex-wife complied with the subpoena that my criminal attorney issued for ex-wife. So let's just pause here. It just happened to be that on a random weekend, he checked with the subpoena that was filed by his um, his attorney for his ex-wife. And lo and behold, oh, she's in car. I mean, really? I just found that to be yeah. a little bit incredulous. So he continues in the letter. This is another example of how this current situation is untenable. A $5 word there for Jason. That's, really- that's way too big of a word for him. Yeah. Way too big. Of a- she wrote that. Sarah wrote that. Yeah, well, since he gets here and here just a, uh, uh, you know, mixed up, I don't know how that's possible that he would use untenable. I am rarely able to reach the girls via prepaid phone. Ex-wife and I share joint legal custody. How come neither CPS, Child Protective Services, the police, sheriffs, etc., nor either one of you, and again, counsel and the guardian ad litem, notified me that ex-wife was incarcerated? I need to know that my two children are okay. Once ex-wife was taken into custody, I should have been notified. I contend that it should have been my decision as to where and with whom my two children stayed until ex-wife's release from prison. Prison, buddy? Really? <laughs> All right. Yeah. I was prison denied in, the opportunity. in jail, by the way. You're not interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. I was denied the opportunity to make that choice. Gal, yesterday afternoon, I called your office and spoke with Taylor. That's Hopefully Gal, guardian, was... guardian ad litem. Oh, okay. Hopefully she was able to give you message. Um, and then he finishes with, I also wanted to let you know that last week I was granted the Maryland version of a PPO. I guess that's a personal protective order against ex-wife. The protective order has now become final PO, protective order, and will last for one year. I also believe that ex-wife violated the no quote communication close quote portion of the Virginia Beach uh, JDR court order from 4th of December 2020 and it just signs a Jason Lydell with a phone number. Well, it, the phone number that's verified on all these goddamn accounts that are spoofing everything, yes. no less. Yes, for sure. That's an important point. Now, that last paragraph where he was boasting about getting his protective order. Uh, he got the protective order because he got his ex-wife thrown in jail. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd be bragging about that, but right. You know, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. So now we move on. Now, Sarah Sorg, she's continuing to push that extortion letter. So the court documents read that now, so now it's five days later. September 30th, 2020, or one day prior to Jason Lydell's JDRC hearing for his alleged violation of a peace bond. So the timing here is not a coincidence. Sarah sends a Virginia Beach police detective, a a Chelsea uh, Lindemeyer, the following email from her Yahoo account. Dear Detective Lindemeyer, I reached out to the Virginia Beach non-emergency number to make a report, but the intake offer indicated that I should reach out to you. The reason why I am reaching out to you is that the threatening letter I received may relate to case number, and it's some random case number, that you are investigating. I received a letter on September 20th. 
2020, attempting to extort me and making threats against Jason Lydell, myself, and my children. I believe that based on the contents of the letter, and this is all in italics, and the fact that it was postmarked from Virginia, Miss Ex-Wife sent this letter to me. I have attached a photograph of the letter and the envelope. The letter demands that I pay $28,500 by the end of September and states, quote, imagine what will happen if I convince my friends on the force that you had a major role, R-O-L-L, in their investigation, T-H-E-R-E, close. Uh, that does a quote. I bet you get this part. Just pay me and believe uh, this goes away, close quote. I believe this is referring to the criminal case involving Jason Lydell, where ex-wife is the complainant. Since it is the end of September and I have no intention of paying any money in connection with this, I thought it would be prudent to let you know. I've already filed the police report with the Montgomery County Police, Maryland Police Department and have applied for charges to the Maryland Commissioner. Open parens, I believe that Miss his ex-wife, was arrested in Virginia Beach in connection with the Maryland case, close parents. I also received a peace order against ex-wife because of the threat of bodily harm contained in the letter. Please let me know if you need anything further. Sincerely, Sarah Sorg. Again, pretty aggressive push here, given that we later found out that they sent the fucking letter. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Well, let's talk about that. Did Jason mail the extortion letter? I'm going to say most likely yes, because investigators did a review of the JP Morgan Chase credit card that Jason Lydell had, and it showed that Jason Lydell made purchases of gas at gas stations and convenience stores in the vicinity of Virginia Beach in September specifically September 16th. So a couple days before Sarah receives this letter. Jason, the investigators found, checked into a hotel in Virginia Beach on September 16th. And then he checked out at approximately 7.30 a.m. on September 17th. So just the next morning. He had no other reason to be in Virginia Beach. And you say, how do you know that? Well, that's because investigators went to his employer and they said, his, which is a military chain of command. And they said, is there any reason that Jason Lydell should be in Virginia Beach during these these dates of September 15th and September 17th? And they made the time span there a little bigger just to make sure. And they said, no, there's no, we didn't send him there for work or anything else. And then they checked with the courts and they said, hey, is there any reason he should be in Virginia Beach for the two minors, his children? Nope. 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 So if you look at the fact that the letter is spelled to holy hell, and the fact that Jason was in Virginia Beach, Virginia, that's a pretty that's a pretty big coincidence, Seth. Yeah, it's uh it's not great. <laughs> so the investigator just comes out. The investigators and the attorneys just come out and said, you know, we think he mailed it himself while he was down there. Now, I thought this was especially funny. They went and viewed, interviewed Sarah Sorg at a later point, and they said, hey, Sarah, now I'm going to I'm going to act a little bit here. This is how I imagine the conversation went down. The investigator, investigators went in there and they said, hey, Sarah. Got a bunch of evidence and uh, got some questions to ask you, especially about this extortion letter. 
is it possible that Jason Lydell could have written and sent that extortion letter? Sarah sat back, thought real deeply, and she said, You know, it could be a possibility. The sergeant then said, Hey, Sarah, got another question for you. Is it possible that you could have written the extortion letter? And Sarah's like, I, uh, mm, uh, sky's blue. I like turtles. Uh, and basically did not give him any other information that would be exculpatory for her or Jason. So I read this whole paragraph, Seth, of they started pushing her to the point of being on the record of saying, could Jason have done this? Could you have done this? Are you involved? And I think like her attorney brain or in there somewhere went oh shit I can't I can't lie because it almost sounds like she's like it could have been us so let's flash forward to mid-November of 2020 Sarah here does win her protective order though she continued to pursue a protective order against the ex-wife by testifying in the Maryland Montgomery County Circuit Court um both ex-wife and Sarah Sorg testified that they've only uh, had approximately three in-person encounters. And all encounters occurred in Virginia Beach during child exchanges of um, Jason and ex-wife's minor children and a concert uh, where both were present. These encounters occurred in late February of 2020 and early March of 2020. Ex-wife and Sarah stated they had no other communication by any other means since March 2020. And that includes email text messages, phone calls, and social media. The judge ruled in favor, though, of Sarah for the protective order against the uh, ex-wife, which is interesting that that he would do that. Um, yeah, because he had no other evidence. So tell us where the letter is. Nobody knows. At this point, they have pictures, and Sarah and Jason have not provided the letter or the envelope to law enforcement. They believe that the letter is at their residence. And this is at this point, they're using all this evidence that we're discussing and presenting to you as a reason to go do another search warrant on their premises to try to find this letter. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, I'm not a forensic scientist. But if they didn't find enough traces of ex-wife's DNA on that letter, that's a problem. Now, maybe, I don't know, like if he had an old glass or hair from ex-wife that he could have rubbed all over the letter. I don't know. But uh, I don't think they got that far with this. All right. So in January of 2021, this was a really interesting thread. So Jason was pissed off at his ex-wife because she provided their two children that they had together what he calls, and I'm using air quotes here, he calls them burner phones. And it's because it was basically, the phones were kind of like pay-as-you-go phones, but he kept calling them burner phones and he didn't want the children to have them. I read into it just as a person that he was probably trying to alienate the mom and trying to cut off communication, but he made a big stink about this these burner phones. So at some point along the line, he gets pissed off enough, he just takes them. He just takes them away from the kids. So then 
Lydell, Jason Lydell is now charged with the theft of these two phones. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, pay as you go, they could be expired, but he stole them. So now he's being charged with the theft of these two phones. And again, we've said this probably 10 times in this episode, you could stop the episode here and go, holy shit, that was crazy. But watch what happens when Jason is crossed at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's charged with the theft of the two phones. And because of that, Lydell and Sork open internals investigation against the detective that was involved with the charging of the theft of the burner phones. It's like this guy couldn't even keep it in the family. Now he's spreading his craziness yeah, so to law enforcement. I admit, when we first started the episode, you mentioned that he was an equal shitbag to Dr. Ilk. And I'm like, no, Dr. Ilk is a And I'm not so sure now. I, I think we've evened it out. The the one thing that Ilg had on this guy was Ilg wanted to kill people and physically harm them. Whereas this guy hasn't physically harmed anybody yet. And he hasn't said he wanted to kill anybody, but at the core, this guy just feels on par with Dr. Ilg and me. Like it's yeah, just, this, guy, this case this is, is so creepy. This guy's fucking dark. Like inside it's dark. All right. So let's move to March, 2021. Lydell was charged with a false statement to an officer and the officer started receiving text messages. So now he's fucking with the cop. The court documents read that on March 11th of 2021, uh, Maryland police detective, I uh, won't leave his name, started receiving text messages from a specific phone number. And the number stated, I hear your, oh, I gotta read the asshole term. All right, <laughs> uh, these are nasty. Um, so I hear H-E-R-E, you are, as in the letter R. Stop. Stop. He misspelled here. We already know that's Jason Lydell when he misspells here. He's already yeah. done this uh, many, many times. H-E-R-E, not H-E-A-R. <laughs> I hear you, and then letter R, a shit talker, but no dash. Come to my hood, N-I-G-G-A. And I'm not going to say it because I can't. Um, kind of weird. Like, I don't know if the officer is black or not, but I'm pretty sure white people should really never use that word, period. Um, and then text messages from a different phone number read, nah, N-I-G-G-A, is this D-I-S Paul? I'm trying to get fuck up. I don't know what that means. I heard you got that good shit. Free base, two words, dot, dot, dot. I love the fake voice. I am with your mom. Wanna call me Dad D, D A D dash D Y. This is hilarious. You piece of shit. I am in your dead mom's ass. I bet she died <laughs> a terrible death. I don't even know what to say about this. Like, it's both incoherent and so gross and nasty. It's like, I can't even like make a comparison to how bad it is. It's just so stupid. <laughs> and it's to a police officer. So, by the way, I mean, Jones, again, I gotta ask you the level of imagine you got pulled over for speeding. Well, let's just say it was a bullshit ticket. You got pulled over for going 40 in a 35 or 41 in a 40. Would you get so upset that you'd start texting silly shit, sexual innuendo to the cop? I'm pretty sure you just wouldn't do that, right? No, and you gotta imagine when. Like he's bullying everybody that he can, but when he starts to bully police officers, I imagine the police officers at that moment just went, 
hold my beer. This is what we do is investigations, right? So what they did is they looked at these phone numbers and these phone numbers come back to anonymous text messages, these services. We've talked about these in prior episodes where you can basically get them online. You pay a nominal fee and you can send text messages using phone numbers that aren't your phone number. Now, when investigators started doing investigation into the phone numbers, they found these phone numbers came from a service like this. Um, it's called pinger slash text free. If you're curious on the exact service that was used here, you crime bites. Yep. And when the investigators went to this service, with their investigative tools, I imagine some search warrant court order process where they could get subscriber information and the subscriber information showed that the account was created on March 11th, 2021 from an IP address of 73. I'm just going to read it to you because this is what an IP address looks like. It's just the number 73.129.168. 155. And what does that mean? Well, you can take that. Nerds like myself can take that and basically find out geographically approximately where that IP address comes from and what company owns it because there'll, there'll be some kind of owner behind it. Now, when the investigators took that IP address and ran it through this investigative process that I very quickly waved my hands and explained to you, they found that it was associated to Comcast, which is cable modems in my area, the Washington DC area. But it comes back to this other friend and we're just gonna call him Jason's friend because I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of them that we just know it's this one, right? So Jason had this friend, his initials are WC and that WC, that person, that's the IP address that showed up in this anonymous text message service that's threatening the police officers with all the language that Seth read to you. All right. Are you with me? I don't know if they so were threatening as much as they were harassing and uh, harassing, I guess. Was, yeah. was there a threat? It wasn't really a threat. Um, anyway. So they talked to this gentleman, Jason's friend, and Jason's friend's basically like, hey, yeah, um, it wasn't me, but I do have a friend. His name is Jason. He's over here all the time. And we'll come to find out that not only is he over there all the time, but Sarah Sorg is over there all the time as well. So I had to stop here for a moment, Seth. Like there were some, we've, we've given you tons and tons of heinous shit that this guy has done. But to go to your friend's house, say, hey, buddy, hey, Wendell, I'm just going to make the name up. It's W. Hey, Wendell, you mind if I get on your your uh, Wi-Fi? Sure. What's your password? Oh, it's just password one, two, three. Sweet. Put it into my phone. I'm on it. Now I'm doing things like sending harassing text messages to a police officer using my friend's IP address. It just, that blows my mind that that guy would go to that level and basically put his friend in the 
investigative crosshairs. Well, and the, and the friend knew he had any intent to do that, then he's an accessory to the crime. I mean, it, it's not great for, for either of them. <laughs> so we, know, we learned that the text messaging service called TextNow is registered to Lydell's phone. And the court documents state that pursuant to both a, a Maryland and FBI uh, law enforcement, uh, Maryland PD and FBI search warrant for user account AM, revealed that user account AM received emails from TextNow confirming registration for the phone numbers that, that were used uh, in the text messaging to the police officer, as well as emails between another fraudulent and spoofed account belonging to Jason Lydell. So, uh, Basically, they use technology to back into the fact that this was definitely Jason. And then we learned that Sorg also used the friend's house. Tell us more, Keith. Yeah. Well, not much more than that. Um, I've already mentioned it, but they saw that Sarah Sorg logged in using the same IP address to her Yahoo account that was associated with the friend. So if someone wants to argue that maybe the friend was sending the text messages it's like no he's obviously sharing his wi-fi with this couple that apparently comes over and visits his house enough that they use his wi-fi enough right so now we're getting into now this is not the end of it with the police officer no no Jason starts spoofing emails to and from the officers. I guess he figured, I'm really good at doing this with the ex-wife. Let's move on to fucking with law enforcement. So on August 24th of 2021, the Maryland County Police Department, is it Maryland County? Montgomery County. Oh, Montgomery. I'm sorry, but that is in Maryland. Uh, Yep. uh, Specific, the same detective, his email account, uh, which is first name dot last name at uh, montgomerycountymd.gov reportedly sent the following email to the Maryland, the Maryland, the Montgomery County Chief of Police and the Montgomery Council Council. And it reads Marcus. Marcus would be the first name of the uh, chief of police. Our sick line of work is not the same. Our every move, not our, should be our, uh, is watched and recorded. A racist comment or a uh, FAG joke is now insensitive. How many times did we enhance the facts to put scumbags behind bars? Oh, my God. (laughs) We were taught to trust R as an A-R-E, should be A-O-U-R, gut. Now we have to investigate first, explain our evidence, that's our evidence should be, then file charges. I didn't sign up for this. I made Sargent, that's (laughs) S-A-R-G-A-N-T, by getting these illegals off the street and then creating enough evidence to these beaners, oh my goodness, Oh, Jesus. Um, To admit to a few unsolved mysteries. My ex-wife is being a C-U-N-T. I'll, no apostrophe, take my pension and go live a plantation owner in one of these beaner places. Lovely. I hope you will attend my retirement. I told HR that I wanted to get officially retired by the end of September. Fuck. So just to relent here or to repeat... Jason Lydell spoofed an email that is clearly racist and nasty to the chief of police and a senior council member of the local government in an attempt to make the officer look awful. So we learned, uh, how do they bust him, Keith? How do we learn that this email came from a spoofed email service? Well, in emails, a lot of times you don't see these if you're going to Gmail or Google Mail, but 
there's headers and the headers you can think of as like your envelope to physical mail where it has your physical mail might have a postmark on it. Your email has what servers this email's traveled through. And that's the first thing that investigators are gonna look at. They're gonna look at this list of servers that this email went through in order to get to the, the recipient. And they found it came from not internal to the police department where you would think it would come from. It came from a service that was known for being able to spoof emails. There's actual services that you can pay for to do this type of thing. And yeah, so I bet you Jason behind the scenes thinks he's like probably all smart. He's like, oh, they're probably all at each other's throats now sending this stuff. And they're just reading this going, motherfucker, they sent it from another spoofed email account. Well, we'll put that with the evidence. And <laughs> so there's another email. You get to do this one. I'm not doing both these. These are awful. <laughs> all right. So the second emails from the detective, and this is going to the Montgomery County State's attorney, which is, you know, the big dog of the uh, attorney wise of the county. We don't have a lot of counties in Maryland, so it's a lot of people. And, oh, and um, he also sent it to his ex-wife. She apparently was in the Navy. I didn't notice that before, but she has an, a Navy.mil account. So I apparently he cc this spoofed email to his ex-wife as well which is kind of weird immediately right? immediately i would go oh my god i would i would think like they would put two and two together if i was the criminal and i sent that and then i put my ex-wife on there but who knows i'm just gonna read it to you and then we'll discuss so he says this is supposedly from the detective it says i don't without apostrophe know what games you are playing you need to call miss mooney immediately i have stuck my neck out for you i protected you when you admitted to me that your boyfriend had guns i worked very closely with your attorney to punish your ex i lied to ncis which is the naval criminal investigative services they're the police of the navy so i'll, I'll start the sentence again it says i lied to ncis and when that didn't, without an apostrophe, work, I left out a lot of information to get him charged. Karen is one of us. She will take care of you. The FBI is poking around into my case files. Oh my God, Jesus, this guy. If they discover that I intentionally fabricated the charges for you, then I am going down. If I go down, then so will you. Karen knows the emails that you sent about your kids' phones being located in Virginia. You admitted to sending all of these emails. I have immunity. I have you recorded admitting to fabricating these charges. Fix this or else Miss Mooney will use the entire weight of her office to charge you with a lot of charges. Your, and this one's wrong, this is apostrophe R-E, worst fear will come true. Your, again used wrong, asshole baby daddy will have your kids and you will be back in jail. Kill them or don't. I'm not going down for you, Paul. And then it's got his block, you know, it has right, his official a cop would send detective. that kind of note in an email, right? Oh my God. Okay. Well, there's, 
two huge thoughts came to mind. First is, oh my God, what the hell was that? Like that is just the, out of all the stuff I've read for eCrime Boys, this is just like each email just ratchets it up further to the point where my second thought is like, I wonder how stable this dude is, right? No, like you try to, you try to think about this investigatively and you're like, would a police officer really email the estate's attorney and the ex-wife of this guy and basically be like, I fabricated all this evidence. You better make this shit go away or else. That doesn't seem like a real stable move on Jason's part. No, but they figured out pretty quickly that, again, it was spooked. Review of the email filed by the uh, Montgomery County and a header analysis conducted. Um, revealed that the email did not originate from the detective's email account, but rather from a fake mailer. Um, and, you know, they backed it up into uh, to Jason Lydell. But buckle up because there's more emails spoofing. He didn't stop. Honor about so, April 19. You want to take this one stop, down? Sorry. Stop. We could stop the we could still stop the episode here and be like, that was fucking crazy, right? Right? He he's been after his ex-wife. He's now harassing the police officers that are involved with this case. He's he's gone all the way up to the state's attorney. Who else could Jason Lydell harass in his case? Seth, tell us who it who it is. I'm gonna follow this. So this I guess he spoofed. I don't think who he spoofed. Um, in April, so a month later, end of April, a judge in the Virginia Beach Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court receives an email from, and I can't tell because it's completely blacked out, um, but from somebody with what appears to be a forwarded email from the ex-wife, alleging that the ex-wife was being harassed by the Virginia Police Department, Virginia Beach Police Department. Uh, and the Virginia Beach Police Department promising to protect the ex-wife, even if the ex-wife lied. And it, I, I'll read it. I am getting harassed by the Virginia Beach Police Department. They promised to protect me if I lied. I am now being told <laughs> that my finance has to get, my, yeah, I, I'm assuming she meant fiance. My finance has to get rid of his large weapons cash. She got cash right. Or I have to move because I have a protective order against me. That's ridiculous. The Second Amendment protects his guns. My ghost guns are untraceable. <laughs> do you know, as an NO, what I had to do to get him to buy me our house? I did things I swore I would never do. <laughs> I wasn't really going to kill all those people. I just wanted to scare them into giving me everything that I want. I have threatened to kill myself and my kids several times. I use a VPN and deny writing it. No one cares. I'm afraid that I will be forced into a mental, a mental institution. I will not be ordered to take pills. I have copied the judge for you to tell her yourself that she can't, with no apostrophe, make me do anything. I am a member of a group that does not submit to the government's authority. <laughs> by the ex-wife. That's fantastic. Uh, one thing I want to point out is a technical term that we went over very quickly, the VPN in there. Yeah. So this obviously faked email is purportedly coming from the ex-wife says that she uses a VPN. We talked about this 
we talked about VPN in prior episodes, and I'll give it a, a description again for the people that have just joined us. So a VPN stands for virtual private network, and there are good reasons and there are bad reasons to use VPN. If you're at work, you probably have to get your resources at work and you can use a VPN to basically put you on a network with your your work resources. So you basically authenticate usually with like a username and a password and then you then have access to that network. Now, other types of VPNs will not just give you your work resources like work VPN will, it will give you the whole internet. You can just basically browse the whole internet. And these are commercial VPNs. And um, like for instance, Surfshark VPN, we've talked about, that's a type of VPN. And there's other types of VPN where basically you buy them and you connect up through an application and it sends all your traffic from your computer that would normally go out your cable modem and it sends it through another service provider through the internet. And you're like, okay, my head's spinning. Don't worry. There's only one thing you need to know about this. When somebody uses a VPN, their IP address of where they're coming from can change. So you remember that dotted number I talked to you about earlier? If you use a VPN, you can change that dotted number to make it look like it's coming out of Sweden or Washington DC or wherever, pretty much wherever you want it to come out of, as long as your VPN provider has a presence there. So this is important. VPN is mentioned once now in this letter that Seth just read to you, but we then see the investigators go in a little deeper on it. They they say that Lydell also uses VPN. They said that the, um, not only does the email say use a VPN, when later on they did analysis on his iPhone, his iPhone, what was it, a 6S, that was seized from the residence of Jason Lydell and Sarah Sorg, it revealed that he had a VPN installed on that phone. Now stop there for a moment. You go, holy shit. That's one hell of a coincidence, right? The word VPN showing up in this email, Jason Lydell, he's being accused of running a VPN. He definitely has it on his phone. The login for the VPN is his ex-wife's name on his phone. So it shows that Jason Lydell uses a VPN, but he doesn't even use it under his name. He uses it under his ex-wife's name. That shit. Now here, here we shift gears a little bit. So you imagine at this point, the cops are not really believing them. They're poking the cops and the state's attorney and now a judge so much that the heat's starting to focus back on them. So what do you do? When we've talked about all this evidence, uh, what we're going on almost two hours now, Seth, between these two, all this evidence, what do you do when the heat gets turned around on you? You destroy, you try to destroy the evidence. The problem with doing that is when it's electronic, it's harder to do. So we learned initially that Sarah Sorg starts deleting emails, right? 
So on or about the court document state, uh, July 23rd of 2021. So now the heat is on Sarah Sorg using her work email account from the DOT, Department of Transportation, emails somebody, an ethics advisor to the Department of Transportation to inform them that she wanted to file a notice of claim against the Montgomery County in Maryland regarding the search warrant of her residence in uh, the year before. And to determine if there were any ethical concerns with her doing so giving her position in the government. And Sarek stated, quote, I plan on doing it pro se, for those of you who are not, it just means she's going to represent herself, in my personal capacity, on my own time, using my own resources. And I think she said that more for ethical reasons. However, search and review of the email in uh, Jason's AOL account and the correspondence between Jason and Sarah shows that the various documents drafted by Sarah were produced using a Department of Transportation computer and a Department of Transportation licensed software, contrary to Sarah's earlier statement to the ethics person. Furthermore, a U.S. Department of Transportation review of Sarah's user account um, in her email revealed that Sarah selectively deleted nearly all emails with the ethics person regarding ex-husband Jason Lydell. So that's not good. Well, let me say this. In the legal realm, deletion of evidence is a very, very, very serious topic. And if a lawyer is found deleting evidence, I mean, that that would be like grounds of disbarment, wouldn't it, Seth? Uh, it would certainly be grounds for disbarment. Yeah, it's, it's a it's even more of a big deal. If a layman did it, they could go, I didn't really know what I was doing. She's an attorney. She knew exactly what she was doing is, is the point I'm trying to get across here. So let's switch gears to more destruction of evidence on Jason's side. So Jason, if you remember, has been going to this US UHS, which I forget it's one of the um, universities. And he was transferred from there back to the Bureau of Medicine in Falls Church, Virginia, which is again, really close to Maryland. So like any normal commercial place that you might work, when you switch jobs, you have to turn in a laptop and you go get a new laptop at your new job. So he did this. He turned in his laptop at the US UHS. And so since he did this, they still have that evidence around. And so they started looking at it and they said, hmm, when I try to boot up this laptop, it doesn't boot up into the approved operating system that you would expect for our systems. And what does that mean? So you imagine if you have a personal laptop, let's say it's like a, uh, like a MacBook Pro, right? You get it from work and your work will probably have tons of stuff set up on it so you can do your job Effectively, you'll have your chat programs. You'll have, you know, in my case, I code source code. So I'll have my source coding programs um, and all that kind of stuff sort of set up on a corporate level. And it's usually an approved. And I imagine you have these at your work, Seth. It's, a, it's an approved image that people have on their laptops. And when you work there and you boot up into something other than an approved image, it's pretty obvious that it's not the approved image. And so what happened is Jason's laptop came back and it didn't have this approved image on it anymore. It had just this Windows installation, just this random Windows installation on it. 
but more importantly, it had BitLocker encryption on it. So what that means from an investigative sense is they couldn't just look at the data on the hard drive because it was encrypted. Right. They couldn't just go in there, look at the emails and quickly put a case together. So you'd go, ah, shit, they're, you know, they're stumped. They can't do anything, right? Well, no. Hey, well, I'm going to take a pause here actually for a second for our listeners. You're probably like, why is he pausing? And this doesn't matter for you. But the video viewers, you were like, how the hell do they just change their clothes really fast? And that was because we had something come up and we had to pause our recording. And then that had to pause for a day or so. So we're fast forward a couple days in our lives. If you wonder why we look completely different on you, we're not, we're actually not trying to trick you as much as you might think we are. Right. So the, um, I last left you and I know you, it's like, you're right into this. So it's not like I left you, but we were last talking about this laptop that Jason Liddell gave back to his former employer as he was changing jobs. Like it, it, this happens in civilian life too. And when they received this laptop, it had a new operating system on it. And I was about to give you the punchline that not only was there a new operating system on there, which is weird. There is also a login not associated with Jason Lydell because it has his ex-wife's name in there. And you got to think, what kind of situation is so? I don't know how you would explain this. If you were the per if you were Jason Lydell and you were caught, how you would explain the fact that there's a new operating system on your work laptop that there shouldn't be. And second, there's your ex-wife's name that logs in there. And I'm going to tell you that I don't believe his ex-wife actually used the computer. It was him that put his ex-wife's name in there. I don't know if it was him trying to pretend certain things came from her or what it was, but definitely suspicious, suspicious behavior. Well, plus the fact that you're dealing with, you know, a uh, U.S. military branch computer, I would think is, you know, making misuse of that and violating security controls like particularly bad like you know we do that at a big company it's bad and i work in corporate security so it's really bad but if you work in the military i have to imagine that the controls on that need to be really really stringent so the fact that he's you know usurped that or or you know really violated those policies i have to imagine is extremely problematic if not the level of criminal plus it implicates his ex-wife she never offered her consent to do that none of this is good at all and another under normal circumstances if this laptop was not encrypted we talked about the bitlocker encryption earlier if it was not encrypted a computer forensic analyst could look at this laptop and tell you what's on it you know what emails were sent who logged into it and all the good stuff that happened to the laptop. Well, since it was encrypted, initially you cannot just do that type of analysis and tell you that. That's the purpose of encryption is to protect the confidentiality of the data that's on there. Well, here's an interesting tidbit. The investigators ended up using a pin that they found for Jason Lydell's United States Automobile Association or USAA mobile application and they're like an insurance organization. So he used this pin to log into some other application on his phone and they have it because they did analysis on his phone. 
they use that pin to try to log into the laptop because I mean, attackers do this and so do the good guys when they try to log into bad guys' laptops. Reuse passwords, right? Well, guess what? That pin actually allowed the login on the pack on that laptop that Jason put this new operating system on. And I just thought that was freaking amazing. And if you don't catch, if you don't fully catch what the underlying implication of that is, you have his work laptop wiped out with a new operating system on it. So right there, that's bad. <laughs> Purportedly his ex-wife's name is logging into there. That's another weird thing. So he could probably say, oh, my ex-wife did some weird shit to my work laptop. But you go back to who act, what the password or the pin is to log in and it's his pin under her name. Right. That connection right there, that's the important connection in my mind. Agreed. Well, so at the end of this, and we've been painting you this whole story. So at the end of this investigative story that we put together, the investigator basically just says, hey, I believe that Jason Lydell wiped the system on his laptop. He, he installed an unauthorized operating system on that laptop. And moreover, he tried to use this laptop to make it look like his ex-wife was doing some bad shit. Yeah, that's basically, right? uh, yeah, I mean, I would argue that actually what the court documents read uh, is even kind of paints me a deeper picture because it, it really was trying to conceal specific previous criminal activity uh, at the same time trying to uh, implicate his ex-wife, which is like a double double-pronged uh, asshole move. <laughs> yeah. So moving forward in time here, uh, there's additional elements of harassment at both uh, at the end, well, in August of 2021 and into uh, March of 2022. Uh, in 21, there was a spoofed email to PTA members um, about a domestic violence case against his ex-wife. Uh, and then in March of 22, Lydell hacked and started sending messages through uh, his ex-wife court-mandated messaging account. Remember, we talked about the, uh, the court-mandated messaging account earlier. So, um, yeah, it's not great. The court documents specifically mentioned that uh, based on forensic review and advanced data recovery of the uh, that old iPhone 6S that was seized from Jason and Sarah Sorg's residence, um, the investigator believed that the password was also uh, used by Jason for his uh, Pepco online account. Remind me, Keith, which was the Pepco account? Uh, Pepco is one of our energy providers in the Washington, D.C. area. Yeah. So, so basically what he was he was using things like his, you know, automobile insurance and, you know, energy, uh, you know, provider account passwords to um, to get into things, which is an interesting approach but the important thing here is the password was the same password that he used to share with his ex-wife right that's that was a connected tissue right so it was a shared password that they both knew and it was one of those situations where she probably didn't update every account yet right. when they split and he knew this and then he was able to log in using that shared password that right. they because together. if you're thinking what I was thinking, which is, well, how did his ex-wife 
let him do that? How did she know? You know, why didn't she know rather that he was hacking into her shit? Like, and I think the answer, we just kind of figured it out, right? Is that they obviously, when they were married, had to share certain accounts like to pay bills. And, uh, you know, they were, I guess, you know, that didn't have unique passwords for every single different account they have. I guess that can become unmanageable. So that was how he figured out how to access her stuff and probably why she didn't pick up on it so fast. So, I so the question of was Jason a flight risk has come up. So the court documents read that uh, on September 7th of 2022, the investigator conducted a physical surveillance in the vicinity of uh, a specific address. I believe it's where, um, uh, is that the house? That's where that they one? live. That's where, okay, so yeah, I wasn't sure because it's the name of the address makes it read like it might've been uh, where his ex-wife worked. But um, yeah, where Jason, Lydell, and Sarah Sorg uh, lived. And they also saw a car bearing the same shape as a specific type of car that Sarah and Jason shared. So follow up on database query, Queries indicated that both Jason and Sarah traveled into Canada um, a couple days earlier on September 3rd of 2022. Database queries also indicate that Jason and Sarah do not travel internationally frequently. So the timing on this was very, very suspect. In fact, Jason's last travel to, uh, to Canada was looks like four years prior and Sarah previously internationally was three years prior. So these are not people who travel internationally often. So the fact that they suddenly went out to Canada was very suspicious. Yeah, and so investigators are closing in at this point. They have a lot of evidence that we've presented to you in this whole storyline. And they basically say in the court paperwork, we believe they're getting ready to flee the country. And right. we're talking September 22, which is not that long ago. It was just last year. So with the court paperwork that we've given you so far, we haven't, we haven't gotten to an indictment. We haven't gotten to pleas and all the other things that we typically read from. We're sort of building to this point of where we are in time right now. And this is one of the last things that I thought was pretty disturbing that the investigators left in the court paperwork, which is we think that they're a flight risk. Now, one other thing I want to add is I kept saying things like Jason Lydell and Navy, and I started using past tense terms, and I didn't really tell you why. Well, federally in the United States, if you're not in the United States, you're probably going to be confused on this, but there's federally cannabis is illegal. So that means the whole country from the federal government, it's illegal. A lot of states, I'd say probably maybe half of them, have some type of law that will allow you to use cannabis, either medically or recreationally. But if you work for the federal government, which the Navy is the federal government, you have to abide by their laws no matter where you live. Even if you lived in California, which is one of the more liberal cannabis states in the United States, you still have to abide by the federal rules, which says that you cannot partake in any cannabis use. And where am I going with this? Well, September 22nd, 2022, Jason Lydell tested positive for cannabis in his random urinalysis that the Navy 
takes of people and they began the process to separate Jason Lydell. And that's the reason why I started using past tense terms. Now, something so, I want to explain real quick, and this is more of an overarching thing, and then you can take the count, Seth. This case is a little different than the cases that Seth and I have produced to this point for you guys, because most of the cases we've given to you so far have been after they've been tried, after, even a lot of times after they've been sentenced and served their sentence. This case is so fresh the complaint is where we're at. So that's why I'm saying yeah. things like the last thing the law enforcement said is they're going to flee the country. I'm not trying to leave this loose ended for you on my part. I'm just leaving it loose ended because that's just where we're at in time. Um, at this point, this is now we're in October of 2022. There's a complaint filed. And this is one of the last things that happened in the public record that I could tell you for. And that's why this whole story, they haven't been tried. They haven't been plead, they haven't pleaded out or anything. And you just have to assume we're, we haven't said alleged, but alleged, alleged on everything that we're saying too. And with that, do you want to um, talk about the count stuff? Yeah, these counts are interesting. Um, and there's quite a few of them. So at this point, and I wouldn't be surprised if more are filed at some point, uh, they were the, the arrest and complaint warrant, sorry, the arrest warrant, Sorry, there was a search warrant, there was a complaint and an arrest. So it was a single affidavit um, contained the following potential violations of federal law. We had conspiracy to commit cyber stalking. We had the aggravated identity theft and we had fraud in relation to protected computers. And then we had a full on cyber stalking. So you call you, you know, back into from the story here, right? The conspiracy to commit is all the prep work. And, you know, uh, if Sarah helped him, then she would be, you know, a conspirator, co-conspirator, and vice versa, because they definitely were co-conspirators here. And the actual act of cyber stalking. The identity theft should be fairly obvious, right? Sending letters in her name. <laughs> um, and then the fraud as well, uh, specifically using a protected computer because they had to get it with passwords. Uh, let's see here. What do we got next, Keith? Well, there's um, two things. So it wasn't just her name. It was all the police officers, the oh, judges. Oh, right, yes, yeah, of like, course. Absolutely everybody that they included in this bullshit story of theirs. And one other thing I want to note here is on the complaint, this affidavit for this complaint, both of their names are on there. Both Jason and yes. Sarah are on there. Yes. This gives credence to the fact that they are equal shit bags. Uh, we want to make sure that was clear on this. Now, one of the things I wanted to point out was there are a lot of agency involved there. Yeah. This whole deal it all starts with his ex-wife, with Jason's ex-wife. And it's not her fault, I don't think, but it's his actions with her that sort of set this whole ball rolling. And because of that, it's not just, you know, a police department, not a Maryland police department that's involved anymore. You have the Virginia Beach Police Department. You have the Montgomery County Police Department in Maryland. And now you have the FBI and right there if I was a criminal I'd be like oh shit but now you have NCIS which is basically the FBI of the Navy and then you have the United States Department of Transportation Office of Inspector General also involved on this investigation there's a lot of people looking at these two alleged criminals 
Yeah, which basically means that the charges can be trumped up like crazy here if they don't cop a plea. Um, so this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out because if they do cop a plea, I think a lot of the charges will be consolidated. Um, and then, you know, one federal unit or one state unit will agree and, you know, they're not going to get 300 years. But uh, if they don't play ball, and it sounds like, you know, from what we've seen so far, they're not exactly cooperative people. Uh, this will be interesting. Um, yeah, and then they list a bunch of victims here. So they said in committing these offenses here, they do specifically name Jason Lydell has either directly or indirectly involved and or implicated others in this matter. So similar to having all these different uh, federal and state regulatory agencies, well, police and law enforcement, uh, they're not regulators. Well, I guess the OT is regulators. Anyway, uh, lots of victims here. So we have, if you remember, you have, you know, you have, I'm going to work my way up. You have the two minors, right, uh, that are his children. You have his ex-wife. You have the ex-wife's husband. Uh, you have the attorney um, that he was, um, and the judge. We have the the fake ex-boy. If you're going by the names that are on the slide, yeah. the well, they're all other two are the they're the fake ex-boyfriend, remember, um, yep. of the ex-wife that he set up and that person's spouse. Yes. And I then. See. Yes. And more. And then we got a bunch of witnesses and individuals that I don't even know who they are because they're all blacked <laughs> out. And it's a bunch of names that I hadn't even heard of when I read all the court documents. And I'm like, who the fuck are all these people? There's an individual C, there's three witnesses, and then there's three physicians, which I guess would be the army or no the nate was at the navy physicians that he said wrote into the ex-wife's medical record that she was right. suicidal and all this other stuff so but there's also they're considered there's witnesses of when he went into the um the physical location to physically grab a copy of his ex-wife's medical record that he ended up altering so whoever like saw him going out of the building are all witnesses right so i mean there's the principal of the school that he was talking to i mean this is this is a mess there's a colonel the colonel of the new ex-wife's husband was he received one of these fake emails that said that the his subordinate which was the ex-wife's new husband was doing all this shady shit well they listed him as another one of the victims so there was it's not just like his ex-wife. She took the brunt of his bullshit, but there's a lot of other people. Involved. I feel really bad for his friend, right? Could you imagine his friend had the FBI show up at your house and they're like, hey, um, I had suspicious internet traffic come from your house. And you're just like, oh shit, what the hell did I serve? Right? Right, right. <laughs> it ends up being your asshole friend that you let use your Wi-Fi that ends up yeah. getting you investigated. So as Keith said, uh, as of uh, late fall, early winter of 2022, in November, uh, the indictment came out for Lydell. But now we wait. There's been no indictment yet for Sorg. I suspect that's because they're probably negotiating with her to see how much she'll turn on him or not. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, this one, I'm very, very eager to see how this one evolves and ultimately you know, uh, if the plea that uh, they ask him to cop something he will agree to, or if he's going to fight it. I'm not sure what his defenses would be, because it's not great. The forensic evidence here is extremely damning. Well, I'll tell you one thing. There's one thing we know about this case more than anything else. However, he decides to fight this thing. It's going to be full of misspellings and <laughs> grammatical errors. Yes. However, he does it. Indeed. But he will never spell here correctly, ever. 
Yeah. So Keith, let's let's juggle these conclusions. Um, I'll start. What have we learned from this case? This couple, well, and this is, I want to make sure I attribute this to Jones, was a tornado of schemes and crimes. And I'm going to throw my own word there and bullshit. I mean, you know, in law school, they teach you to kind of read a paragraph and issue spot the various things. And here it, it's almost impossible to keep up with it. There's so many little things that they had done that create a legal issue or legal liability. So this was a, a this was a mess. Well, the next conclusion was you have a Navy officer and you have a senior level Department of Transportation attorney. And my whole thought through this whole episode was what the hell happened here? Did a vetting process just miss two bad apples? Did were they good apples at some point and just turned into bad apples? What the hell happened here? Because when they went bad, they didn't just go bad. It's kind of like Dr. Ronald Ill. He he tried to kill people and have them hurt, but it was kind of like he did it once or twice and stopped. Whereas this guy just never stopped. It was like he got caught by the cops and he was like, fuck you. I'm going to spoof shit to the cops now. And then the judge, you know, his case goes to the judge and he's like, fuck you. I'm going to spoof stuff to the judge now. And he just did not stop. And thankfully, thankfully, there was no physical violence that we know right. of or anything. Which is shocking, case. right? Because, so, you know, it, the way this guy escalated, I would hate to have seen the outcome. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get more into that in a second because that's still, yeah. Um, let's back into the original victim here and this, this ex-wife. I mean, again, we're not privy to how nasty the divorce got or their marriage was like. And again, I have several people that I'm friends with who, people that I know that have gone through very nasty divorces. But if there's children involved or even if you're just a human being, you know, there's certain lines you don't cross no matter what, no matter how badly you felt about it or how awful you felt you were treated or vice versa um, to start messing with somebody's livelihood and to start making accusations in a public sphere like you're a teacher is is aggressive but to do it when both both Lydell and that's why clearly were military veterans uh, he was still active it seems like um, I don't know that's just you know a line that I think was crossed here so over often I mean clearly by Jason but um, just, you know, I'm just shaking my head because I can never imagine getting that upset that I would start breaking the law that aggressively, you know, at, at, directly at the, at someone else's, um, you know, so someone else is, is the victim here that, that, that terribly, it, it was just really, really, uh, we haven't seen that before, right? It was really just aggressive. The being jailed, the ex-wife being jailed over the guy's spoofed communication, now on, not two, not three, four days she spent in jail because of this guy's boofing emails. I I couldn't imagine being in that. I mean, could you imagine just sitting there for four days going? No, and I what mean, the it, fuck? It, it almost has like a separate episode to talk about here, which is the current state of our law enforcement and, um, you know, accusations and arrests. I mean, it's really bad. I do have a friend who was arrested for an alleged domestic violence incident no evidence to prove it and in fact there was exculpatory evidence and he was in jail for weeks you know between some of these states that have no bail um it, it can get really really harrowing and um you know and some of these states have looked at domestic violence as kind of a uh, 
a critical mass of, you know, we're not even arguing with it. We're just going to assume that it's bad. And yeah, I mean, you, you know, if somebody makes an assertion against you, male or female, find yourself in jail, even if there's no real evidence to support it. That's just how some of these states are operating, which is really scary. So, no, I can't imagine being put in jail over four days when my email was spoofed and didn't even realize it. That's fucking crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. And you just you think, whoa, that's crazy. But then him spoofing emails from police officers. It was like, if I could make an analogy, I imagine if Jason Lydell was walking through the forest and there was a hornet's nest over his head, he would punch it. Like that's exactly <laughs> what he did when he sent a spoofed email to police officers, especially with the racist tones and all that kind of crap that he put in there. He punched a hornet's nest and I'm pretty sure somewhere along the line, some police officer somewhere was like, hold my beer. This is what we do. And they, they really started, they really did an investigation on what those spoofed emails were. And it ended up being attributed back to Jason Lydell. Well, and if you think about it, I don't use this term lightly, but his actions, but even like within like the, you know, the context of the, the verbiage he used outside of the misspellings, this is a sociopath, right? I mean, he was, he's, he's crazy. I mean, I know that sounds obvious and I don't want to use that term clinically, but I mean, somebody that's that mal has that much malfeasance built into what they want to do that's really aggressive and he found somebody that was not bothered about his previous relationship he found somebody that was actually really into it and wanted to help him She's with it into it yeah for sure well, <laughs> it was I'm very curious to see if she goes down with him or if she takes a significantly reduced sentence, because I do find it interesting that they don't have an indictment against her yet. Um, so the fact that a lot of the computer evidence also came specifically out of um, government and government military um, computers and accounts is also really interesting. And I suspect that will also um, be problematic both for those institutions who need to now probably enforce significantly stronger uh, security credentials and other kinds of security hardening. Uh, but I also think it's going to bounce back on both, uh, you know, Sarah Sorg and Jason Lydell for, you know, they're not going to get off easier on this. It's going to be worse. They should have been held to a higher standard. So my last note here is not actually a conclusion. I just wanted to open it up to you, Seth, I'll give you my prediction first, but since we aren't in the trial phase for this and we're just giving you the story as it comes out, the court paperwork and all this alleged, I can ask the question, what do you think is going to happen later? Now, I've thought about this a lot. I think Lydell is going to end up being convicted or playing out one of the two. I think more likely convicted less likely playing out. He just seems like he is a fighter. But I think the key is going to be Sarah Sorg. And I think Sarah Sorg somewhere along the way, especially if you get them separate, is probably going to go back to her attorney roots and go, what the fuck am I doing? And probably start to cooperate somewhere. Because if you look at the two of them and you say, who's who would be more guilty? And I hate to even judge that much who he had his hand in more crimes than she did. So I think it would be easier for her to roll and get out of this than it would be for him to roll and get out of this. Um, what do you think, Seth? Oh, I think that's right. However, 
a couple things. I mean, I don't know how madly in love she is with him. It's almost like Harley Quinn and the Joker, right? I don't know. But um, I, I wouldn't be, sh I think, yeah. I mean, I think cooler heads are going to prevail. I think they're going to say, look, you know, they're probably both in their 30s. Um, she does have a legal degree. I think her career is over. Um, but she doesn't need to, you know, and if, if I recall, she does have children. So she wants to be able to see her kids. She's going to want to stay out of jail as long as possible. So I suspect she's going to roll on him hard. Um, and she'll take a reduced sentence. She's not getting off scot-free. I don't think I don't see any scenario where she doesn't do some kind of time um, just because of her position and she should have known better. But maybe she gets a year or something like that or something light. She'll serve six months. And I think she's going to roll on him hard. Um, and I think he is... I mean, if you're him, they could probably stack up these charges to 100 years. So let's say they put it together and offer him 20. He may be like, you know, I'd fuck that. I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, go and take my, take my chances with a jury. I don't know how it's going to work out well for him or not. So I don't know. I mean, from what we, we have no reason to think whatsoever that he's a rational human or that he's going to make a good choice. Um, but I don't know. Also, you know, we also don't know the shenanigans or the political leanings when uh, prosecutors cut deals. Um, you know, there's always a lot of unknowns. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, all the media uh, between our recording of this episode have been covering the Hunter Biden plea and people are, you know, who are right leaning are up in arms that he only got some, I guess, misdemeanor charges. And I think other people are like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not getting into the politics of it. I'm just saying, you know, we, we it would be a little bit of um, trying to predict the unknown or the impossible to understand why a prosecutor would go and accept a much lighter sentence or a much lighter plea otherwise. I don't know, but I don't think they're, I mean, it's, they have so much on him and, and, you know, the optics of it with the military, I don't see him getting out for anything less than 15 to 20 years. And that that's assuming he cooperates. So I, I, I also suspect that he's gonna be a bit of an asshole and this will play out longer because I think he's gonna basically not agree to anything until somebody finally is able to get through to him. So I don't think we're going to have any kind of plea agreement or, or sentencing for a long time on this one. But I think he'll be in jail in between. I don't think they're going to bail, offer bail, especially since he tried to leave to Canada. I'll tell you one thing. This guy fights it. This will be the first trial in history where there will be emails from one juror to the other spoofed by this motherfucker. Right? He's going to be like, fuck you, juror number one. He's going to spoof an email from juror number three being like, your baby's ugly. Yeah, this. I mean, the fact that he was spoofing law enforcement, that's, to put it, as you said, the balls. I mean, I almost hit my hat to somebody because that kind of don't give a fuck must be a wonderful way to live for a very short amount of time. <laughs> I And I, I try to put myself in the mind of everybody in these stories, from the criminals to the victims and... And I'm just, I can't fathom what he must have thought. He either had to think he was smarter than the than the police officers, or he just didn't give a fuck, and he just knew he was going to get caught. I don't know what, if there's much of a middle ground there, because he tried to use something to cover up his tracks. He used that text now service, but then he used his cell phone number as the registrant on there. So well, that's it just like, it. If you're going to spoof people, you better be airtight on your, you know, in how you do it. Because to think you can get it, just get away with it is, I don't know, arrogant. But then again, I'm not a criminal, so I don't can't get in the mind of a criminal. But yeah, I mean, I'm just very, you know, we'll keep an eye on this one and we'll see uh, ultimately. For those of you, you know, who are hoping that he gets 50 years, 
you know, maybe uh, we tend to usually see less than that, um, especially if he doesn't have any priors, but there's a lot to get here. And I also wouldn't be shocked if they take this one where if they do offer him a very simple plea, uh, whatever they could, I'm sure they'll, you know, a good prosecutor will always hold a couple of crimes in reserve so they can get them later. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see where this goes. Anyway, I think that's it. Uh, Keith, tell everyone how to reach out to us. Sure thing. The best way to get a hold of us or see any of our stuff is to go to our website. It's eCrimeBytes, E C R I M E B Y Y is in yellow milk. Yellow milk. T E S. Dot com. So up there, if you go to that site up across the top, if you're on a desktop browser, you're going to see all our social links and you're going to see YouTube where you get to the videos and all that kind of stuff. If you're on your phone, it looks slightly different. There's a little three line hamburger up in the upper right hand corner that you click on and then that top bar sort of pops down for you and you can choose from there and just go there and check things out. One of the things I've been doing is updating our glossary in the background with every episode. And we've been introducing these new terms. Take a look at it. There's a lot of new terms in there that probably weren't in there. If you looked at it somewhere around episode, I don't know when we started Seth, like episode seven, maybe. Yeah. I think so. so. Yeah. Check that out. Definitely. We got video. If you're listening to this, check out our videos. We got the YouTube links up there and Please do subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, be it if that's YouTube or Spotify or whatever it is you like to listen to us on. And whatever that app is, please leave us a positive review. So one of the biggest ones out there is Apple iTunes. If you leave us a five-star review on there, that really helps us move up the charts so people can find out about us. Right now, we're obviously small and just kind of word of mouth and anything you guys can do or share if you like an episode that helps us out a lot, we really, really appreciate it. And with that said, do you have anything else, Seth, before I send us out? No, I think that's it. Next episode will be our season one rundown. Um, so stay tuned for that. And just, uh, we appreciate everybody uh, watching and listening. Thank you. Yeah, definitely do. And right after that, we'll have a action packed season number two. So until then, we'll see you on episode 20. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.